welcome to Cream of the Crop, where we talk with the best and brightest minds in modern agriculture. Welcome to the Cream of the Crop podcast. Today we have Joan DeLeo from Old Time Produce. How are you, Joan? Very good. It's so good to have you. Well, great. It's great to be here. Yes, ma'am. Well, the first thing that I kind of wanted to get started with um, for our listeners who are mostly people that are involved in the fresh produce supply chain, um, I wanted to just hear a little bit about who you are and then we'll get into your business, but just how you got to where you're at today as far as your professional career. Sure. Well, it was an unlikely journey, although I, I would imagine that sometimes it seems likely because I'm the fourth generation of my family to be involved in fresh food distribution. Um, but it really was unlikely. I mean, uh, you have to remember this was, um, you know, the 1980s. Um, this was uh, not a particularly um, inviting industry for anyone, but particularly women, I would say. And so um, I came to this, I say, accidentally by way of graduate school. And that was 30 years ago. And so I'm still here. And, uh, and it was, it's, I think it's as much a surprise to me as to anybody, because I didn't really see myself as particularly entrepreneurial or, um, you know, particularly a great leader or anything like that. I mean, I, I thought I was going to go to work somewhere else. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I think you've surprised yourself, huh? <laughs> I surprised myself. Yes. That's awesome. So you are the fourth generation involved in food. Is it also the fourth generation involved in old time or is that? Different? No, um, my uh, grandparents had businesses. Um, their parents had, my great grandparents had businesses, but they all um, died young. Um, fairly young, at least. And um, so they didn't transfer them through the generations. This is the first one that's actually made a transition from my parents to me. Wow, um, that's so special. Yeah, yeah, it really is neat. Uh, you know, family companies run entirely differently. Uh-huh. And don't realize that till you're sometimes speaking somewhere and you know, you're in a, some kind of a group setting and somebody will say something and it is a complete foreign idea yeah. to a family run business. Wow. So we're definitely going to pack, unpack some of that and talk about that. But um, tell us a little bit about Old Time Produce and what you guys do. So Old Time started out as a uh, retailer. Um, we started and uh, my parents started in 1973, the day after Thanksgiving. Wow. Um, they almost immediately started wholesaling because they had customers that would come in and then say, hey, um, you know, I, I run a school or I do this or I do that. And so they... Um, they ran the retail part for 10 years. And then really once the blue laws and those kinds of things expired and grocery stores became more, I call them almost destinations. Yeah. Um, they were challenged in that space. So they took the entire little space they had and made it uh, exclusively for um, wholesale distribution. And in 1985, they moved to historic St. Louis Produce Row and they operated there for 30 years. And then um, in 2016, we built this state-of-the-art facility out in St. Charles County, right at the um, confluence of the Missouri and Mississippi River. And we've been operating here for almost five years. Okay. So that's, that's great history to kind of help us start to talk about Mm -hmm. um, what you guys do. I did want to talk about the, that you guys are, and correct me if I'm wrong and get the terminology wrong here, but members of PROACT. Yeah. 
Okay. So ProAct from, from what I know is a, a place for that consolidated purchasing, the collective networking, um, in the fresh food supply chain. But if you could kind of unpack a little bit more about like what, what is ProAct, and I know you're very heavily involved in that. So go ahead and share some of that with us too. So, um, ProAct is also about, um, see, it's about 30, I think years old, something like that. And these are fresh food distributors that are independently owned throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a way for independents to come together and um, purchase together. Um, it was the way for them to come together and market together. And it was a way for them to come together. And I think the, the really important thing was to push each other in a share grouping community sense to the highest levels that they could. And and I will tell you that there are some extraordinary ProAct companies, and we've certainly um, valued, you know, benefited from mm-hmm. those relationships and the knowledge of those people and what they've done inside their own companies. I love that all of you guys um, are thriving in different aspects. And when you come together, you know, circle the table of everyone's ideas and pushing each other forward, yeah. it's driving up the whole industry, not just your business and theirs, yeah. pushing up the whole industry, which is certainly, I'm sure, the point that ProAct started for. Um, what are some benefits aside from the ones that you shared, if maybe you could name one or two distinct benefits of being in a member of ProAct? Well, certainly one of the primary benefits is, is on the contracting side. Okay. Um, ProAct purchases as a national organization. And so it gives us the ability to basically piggyback off much larger companies that have pooled all of their purchasing together and then go to market to contract with a grower at particularly, um, you know, particular price points, if you would. Uh And um, as an independent, we would never be able to achieve that. I mean, we we don't have the purchasing power, but what we do have is the local touch. We, okay. we know what we need in this market to serve the St. Louis, uh, the greater St. Louis um, and Eastern Missouri region. Mm-hmm. So we, we know this market. I mean, our roots are very deep here and, and um, we're able to bring the benefit of national purchasing to all of these, both local and regional customers. Wow. So it sounds like the purchasing power is immense with something like this versus being independent. Yeah. Yeah. Much more so. Yeah. Very much. Awesome. Um, You mentioned when you were talking briefly about old time and what they are, um, a state of the art facility, which started to make me think um, Highland Ag is a technology company in the Mm -hmm. ag space. And so obviously we love to talk tech um, or all things like forward thinking and stuff like that. So um, what are some of the things that that you guys have in your state-of-the-art facility that may set you apart or what is some of that technology that's mm-hmm. helped you move into a newer um, forward-thinking space? Sure. Well, there's a whole bunch of technology running the company. So the first thing is that um, all of the, uh, most of the folks that operate here are operating through thin clients. Um, so um, that's a, a small thing, but again, it allows us to control access uh, based on your job description. Okay. The entire building is biometric access controlled. So mm-hmm. where you can go and flow through is by your fingerprint. Wow. Um, we clock in using facial recognition. Um, you can get, um, when you come into the building, it's um, contactless. It always has been since we got here. And that's through like sign logs on iPads. Uh-huh. 
and it sends an email to whoever it is that you're there to see. And hopefully they see it on their phone or on, on their <laughs> computer and they come down and get you because you're not coming in anyway. This yeah. includes over the road truck drivers who um, sign, use the sign logs for their um, contactless entry into a, a kind of a tiny waiting room. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not allowed inside the facility. So, you know, all of those thoughts, you have to remember today, they would be a little bit more commonplace. But in 2016, we did not envision COVID. Exactly. It was more for um, security purpose is in to know who was here and where they were moving out the in and around the building. Yeah. About 180 cameras located uh-huh. on the exterior and in, interior of the building that tell us what, you know, what's moving, where it's at. Um, we can virtually look at almost anything. Wow. So that sounds, I'm just going to say, I'd have a lot of fun looking at those cameras, like on my phone, seeing what's going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Be able to see that. Um, I love that you mentioned that you, um, like before COVID this was created because I think it's even more so a high five to your business by saying we cared about the food safety and security of this facility before Mm -hmm. we, you know, got this huge push to have to care, right? Like you were proactive in that. Yeah, I think, you know, I I talk about this quite a bit. I think that in life, um, you know, there's people who lead um, and there's certainly people who follow. Mm -hmm. But I think that in food safety and food defense, who have always been sort of hallmarks of ours, um, there's the difference between doing what you have to do or what maybe legally is required of you to do. And then going way beyond that, because for you, it is the most sacred promise that you make to clients is that we're going to handle their food safely. And to us, it's a a core value. Again, we use the word sacred as it relates to them. It it is the highest promise that we have for clients. You're really selling me on old time produce because (laughs) no, it's it's so refreshing to hear um, because oftentimes in the industry, it's, you know, when you discuss food safety and food defense, it's a burden. You're always coming at it and combating this burden that growers and shippers and packers are feeling. And not that they don't care. They definitely care. Everyone cares. We want a secure and safe food supply, but it sometimes is framed as such a regulatory burden. And for you guys to say, this is sacred to us. Like this is our promise that we make. And we want to verify that it's in fact, what the customer is receiving on their end. Um, is taking it to the next level. And I think that we'll see quite a few operations heading in that direction, hopefully following after you guys by saying it's working for them. You know, I'm sure that you don't have near as many food safety quality um, issues, food defense issues, because you have these preliminary checks in place, right? Yeah. I mean, we still make mistakes because you'll have training mistakes. You'll have, you know, people don't know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, produce is one of those kind of kind of crazy things where sometimes yellow is good because that's an actual color. (laughs) And sometimes yellow means it was green and it turned yellow (laughs) and it's no longer good. But, but I think at the end of the day, it is a cultural difference. And, and I always say, you know, there are hallmarks in my career. So now that, you know, I decided this really was my career. Mm -hmm. um, I look back at certain things that I call, they were just like landmark days in the, in the most recent landmark day is when we had our unannounced SQF uh, level two audit this year. We, we of course use NSF certification LLC, which is the highest 
Um, mm -hmm. It's the gold standard of certifiers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was our unannounced audit. And so I get a call, I'm on my way to work and they say, hey, the auditor's here. I say, okay, great. And I come in and nobody's doing anything that they wouldn't have otherwise done. There's nobody even lifting their head from whatever it is they're doing. Which and, is not normal. <laughs> no, and the auditors are here for two days and they are scratching, mm -hmm. scratching to try to find something. Yeah. That's and so and I said, you know, and then they leave and I think we scored either a 97 or eight, I think, whatever it was. And I said, you know, listen, that's when you know that everything that you're doing mm -hmm. You're doing it right. You're doing it the way it should be. You're doing it on time. And that's because no one knew and no one cared. No one. It was just another day. Yeah. Because you were already doing what was yeah. required of you. And then some yeah. that you weren't concerned. And I think no. that's certainly a perspective shift, certainly for generational companies. So I'm very much commending, but oftentimes, you know, I see generational companies where, you know, the, the generation before didn't have to do this. So it's really hard in that transition of generational yeah. pass off to implement these things because they weren't seen as such a big deal. 30, 40, 50. Yeah. yeah did, did you experience any of that when you took over? Uh yeah, a bit, but I think, you know, my dad was just, I, I say, you know, to a certain extent, he was crazy and you have to kind of be to be in, uh, in for business. Sure. For sure. Um, and he was crazy enough to trust that I was making the right decisions. I mean, I always say in hindsight, when you review things that you've made decisions on, mm -hmm. many times you think to yourself, wow, that was crazy. Um, <laughs> but at the time, it seemed like the right thing to do. So we've yeah. kind of, um, we've, he was okay with it. I think, I mean, he, he watched the industry change and he mm -hmm. says that he couldn't run it today. And there are things in my company I couldn't run anymore. Yeah. I, mean, I just can't, I don't, I don't have the, I don't know enough about what they're doing. Yeah. Well, that's, and always the good trait of a good leader is that you have people that you trust and underneath you that you're saying, Hey, this is your wheelhouse, yeah. you know, keep me in the loop, but I'm empowering you to make the decisions that need to be made for the end result of having a safe food supply. Right. Yeah. Um, if it, I'm curious what it was like growing up in the same industry that you now are working, you know, as a very much champion woman owner of this large produce company, what was it like to grow up in this and then now be like one of the big dogs, if you will. Well, in the scope of things, we're probably still small, okay. But but for a woman-owned company, we're okay. I mean, wow. in other words, uh, we're you know we're large because there aren't very many of us. Um, I wish there were more. But you know, growing up in a, a family, um, you know, that starts their own business is, um, and I think almost anyone whose parents were whatever they were, if it was in business, so even all the way to like a sports figure, because in a way they're mm -hmm. in business. It's, yeah. you know, um, it, you recognize things that are not as clear cut to other people. Mm -hmm. and, and one of those things is ownership is ultimate responsibility, wow. ultimate decision-making, ultimate sacrifice. So I always say there's a reason why sports and military analogies um, work so well for entrepreneurs. And that's because they represent that same sort of not only cadence of their life, mm -hmm. but also those sacrifices and things that are very different 
from someone who is working for someone that say has a is more of a set number of hours or those kinds of, you know, their, their life is more corralled into buckets. Mm-hmm. And, and so I often, you know, when I've talked to people said, Hey, you know, owning your own business is um, be careful what you wish for, particularly if it's, if it's relatively small or you're the one that has to grow it from here to here, mm-hmm. because that in between is no joke. Yeah. That's um, what we call at our office, like the, the ground game, the hustle yeah. <laughs> between. Yeah. Um, when you just kind of touched on this, but you have grown this business and I mean, you are one of the largest women owned fresh food distributors and and that's a big deal. And I don't want you to humbly sell yourself short. I think it's amazing. Um, but what was it like to, to grow a business that you had inherited? Well, I mean, you know, one of the things that you have to, you know, kind of wrap your mind around is what if you crash it? And I think that, um, you know, that is always in your mind. Um, you know, you, you have somebody that had value, um, could have sold it and had some value, but it, that's a number mm-hmm. and, and they could have lived on that probably. Yeah. Okay. So when you sort of give your business to your children, whoever they are, if it's one child or multiple children or whatever, I mean, one of the things that can happen is they do grow it and then they crash it. And that's always, uh, that's a burden that yeah. they have to wear. I mean, you have to, you have to get used to that. Um, the other thing I think is that when you take a leap like we did and you're going to build a brand new state-of-the-art facility and you have to go out to the capital markets, um, the next thing is that you could still, so, you know, I didn't bankrupt them for the first, you know, 20 something years. Then you have to worry, well, I could bankrupt my parents yeah. in, the, in the last few years of their life. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you something, that is a, it's a heavy burden. Yeah. I, I, I am very much proud of women like you because I want to be a business owner, but that is the scariest thing. That's is exactly saying, right. What if, you know, that's what if right. I, what if I succeed? Yes, that's great. But more importantly, what if I fail? I, that's exactly right. And the downside is the part that is just, um, way out there. I mean, it, it, it it's like a slow pressure on you at all mm-hmm. times. And then you add to that things like COVID and, yeah. um, they don't help believe me. Yeah like labor shortages and market fluctuations. And I mean, you're dealing with a product that's not promised to be good in five days if we can't move it. So yeah. And vaccine mandates and, you know, I could keep going. I mean, and trying to grow your business um, and connecting every person. So when you have like 20 employees or 15 or 20 and then 25, and then as it grows out, um, one of the things is connecting the culture of your business yeah. and getting people to be entrepreneurial that work in your business because yeah. you're looking for the next you or the next 10 you's. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have an, I have an ultimate dream for my company. I mean, I say, listen, I, I'm a, uh, probably what I consider maybe first, if certainly, if not first, maybe second generation of women who really um, have been in business. So there were some leaders before me. Okay. Mm-hmm. There were a few. Okay. Yeah. And there are a few still. And, but certainly what they did helped me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now um, we live in a, in a time of um, diversity, equity, inclusion type initiatives. Yeah. And I said, my long dream has been to get my company moved to a employee-owned company. Wow. It's a very, very hard and difficult to do because 
you have to have a leadership and a bunch of employees that understand it with the same ownership that I had. Yeah. Yeah. And feel that same passion and drive. Yeah. I mean, I, I love some of the stories through the years that people have told about me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause they come back um, as part of your legend, but it is also part of your truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember years ago, we were down on produce row and, um, and I said to these guys, we were getting ready for one of our, um, in that time, a supplier audit, which is very different standard from, yeah. from SQF. But nonetheless, they were no joke either, because mm-hmm. again, we made it difficult for them. Yeah. So if you make it difficult, the inspections are much harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we didn't give anything away. So I said to these guys, I said, hey, I'll be in. And they didn't know me well. I said, I'll be in at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so when I left, apparently, when I drove away, they said, um, hey, um, she's not really going to be here at 4 a.m., is she? And, the, and so a guy that knew me, there was one guy that really knew me pretty well. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, let me tell you something. Set your clock by it. Yeah. Because I assure you at 3.55, you're going to see backup lights. Yeah. Because I backed in. Yeah. And, and when I got there, he looked around. He said, what did I tell you? Oh my gosh. So when you have that kind of, I'm always going to do what I say I'm going to do, yep. unless it is absolutely, I've unturned every stone, every, every rock mm-hmm. that's, you know, that builds that sort of, um, that trust. Yeah. And, and it's, these are the kinds of things we're trying to instill today is how do we get someone, um, how do we get a group of people who feel that sort of ownership? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so important and so good. It, it overlays to every business that's operated anywhere, right? It's building the trust from you to your employees and then mm-hmm. your employees to each other and then your employees to your product and then your product to the retailer and the retailer to, I mean, it goes on and on and on yep. is the, the underlying thing is trust. Does a consumer trust that old time produce is going to do what they say they're going to do? Even yeah. more important than does the auditor trust? You know what I mean? Like it's all yep. about trust. And I that's think that's exactly right. so commendable for you um, to share that story. And I mean, I'm definitely a 4am kind of girl myself, so <laughs> I can relate well, to it. <laughs> and, you know, I say it transfers over to everything. I mean, I said, listen, you know, when we first moved here. This was a little bit like, this was like 20, 30 miles West, you know, mm-hmm. kind of Northwest of where we were at. So, you know, not every employee goes with you. <laughs> Yeah. Because they look at it and go, wait a minute, that's good. You know, my drive is longer, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't in the labor situation that we are today, but it wasn't a great labor situation even then. Yeah. So when we lost um, a few people, we had to send some people that were doing certain things to other jobs when we got here. Wow. And, you know, I tell people, I said, but we never missed a delivery. We never mm-hmm. didn't clean the bathrooms. We never, I mean, all the things that we were supposed to do, we still did. Yeah. And I said, we did them with a combination of me and and a bunch of other people. And I said, that is also just a part of ownership. Yep. I mean, no matter what happens, you still got to be there. That ultimate responsibility again. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's continuous. I mean, (laughs) you have the most responsibility of anyone. So if something isn't getting done, that's going to affect your company. Yeah. You best believe you're doing it right. (laughs) Yeah. It has to get done. I'm just so impressed, not only with you, but with the business that you've built. And I could probably talk to you for another hour. So we may have to do a part two eventually, <laughs> but right, um, right. we'll I'll keep it. it, I'll keep it short and sweet for today. I know you guys are busy, which is a good problem to have. 
Um, but just thank you again. I think that listeners have so much to learn from your wisdom of um, that shocking leadership that you didn't even know you had, right? <laughs> no, I really didn't. I mean, you know, my, my mom talks about this. And when I was a small child, I was actually relatively shy. Wow. Um, but I came out apparently out of the womb, both organized, which no one understands yes. why I had this need to organize everything. And I wanted to read every book. So they had to buy me but like school books, like additional oh school books that they used to sell years ago at like Kmart, wow. which I'm not certain is a store anymore, but <laughs> I don't um, think so. <laughs> they had these piles of like textbooks mm-hmm. and I would go in there and pick out like three, four five that I wanted to do. And, and that's all I did. So for like the first 10 years out from womb to 10, all wow. I really did was read, study and do classwork. Oh my gosh. Um, and so my parents started to worry about me. So they actually bought me a pony when I was 10. I only had him for like a year or two um, because I wanted to, you know, the pool of school was so enormous to me mm-hmm. um, that then they thought I was going to go to school forever. But I, I, I finally got out at 30. Oh my goodness. I graded papers though for three more years after that. Oh my gosh. I love it. Wow. What a fun story. I'm so, that's so awesome. I've never enjoyed, well, I love reading about agriculture, but if it's like math or not, yeah, I'm not a fan of just like reading books for fun, but if I can learn something, I definitely do love it. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Thank you again. And I will certainly follow up with you. I'm so thankful for what you guys are doing in the industry. All right. Well, listen, we, you know, we love to tell our story. Obviously it's one we know well, so (laughs) um, yeah, so we'll, we'd love, and you know what, I do think that sharing these experiences, I often say, I wish, um, one of the things about experience is that you don't have to do it yeah. um, to learn from someone that's exactly. already done it. Yep. And I kind of wish that I would have had that at different points in my career. I think it could have been more successful, but, uh, mm-hmm. but that's okay. We're still, we're still moving along. Okay. <laughs> you are moving along. Great. I, I hope that someone can learn an experience from this podcast. Um, well, all of our podcasts that we do, but I'm sure somebody can take a nugget of wisdom from this one. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, go to highlandhasit.com.